Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. Welcome back after the new year, everybody. Welcome to season two. can't believe it. Uh, I'm just going to keep the episode numbers rolling as normal, but this is the official start of season two, but this isn't going to be called season two, episode one. I hope everyone had a happy new year. I watched the new year ball drop. Let me know what everybody else did. No, I did not go to New York to watch that because there is no way I'm entering into a crowd that big. Big crowds are terrifying for a lot of reasons. I miss Dick Clark's Rock and New Year's Eve. Anybody, anyone know this? Any 90s people out there? I'm not sure who the new guy is or when Dick Clark retired, but those were the days. I actually re-watched the ball drop from 1998 just to see Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve. It was, <laughs> I felt like I went back in time. I felt like I was 10 years old again. It was really fun watching that. But do you know what? We're not here for new year's stuff okay that's over it's a new year enough of the new year's waffle lauren am i right <laughs> so <laughs> sounded really mad at myself there let's just let's just get into this week's case this week's case nearly broke my mind it was i tell you this is um i never covered one like this before i feel like i say that a lot but i know i mean i do there is some yeah i've covered some unique cases and this is definitely one of them July 20th, 2015, upstate New York. 60-year-old Dr. Mary Yoder seems to have the perfect life. This particular day was a Monday and Mary gets ready and goes to work uh, to go work at her chiropractic clinic. Uh, And she's owned this with her husband for over 28 years. 70-year-old Bill Yoder is her husband. Mary and Bill, they have three kids, a nice home, and they have this successful business. I mean, to stay in business for over 28 years, you must be doing something right. I really admire successful business owners. I I have a whole new appreciation for successful business owners these days. So Mary, she's accomplished. She's healthy. She's intelligent. She's vibrant. She looks 10 years younger than what she is. Like she's 60. She looks 50. Mary, she not only took her, her vitamins daily, but she also promoted and sold them as well, like supplements, vitamins, protein bars. We'll hear more about that later. She is the picture of health on this day, just like every other day. She is healthy. She is successful. She is strong. She is vibrant. Later that same day, she planned to have lunch with her elderly mother. And all in all, this was looking like a great start to the week. Then Mary starts feeling unwell. She gets back to work after lunch. She's not feeling good. She manages to see the rest of her patients for that day. But she goes home after and, but she's like, oh man, I have the flu. Like something's not right. My stomach really hurts. She was, she was sick. She starts experiencing vomiting and diarrhea. Like, oh, like it was bad. She was not in a good way. Her husband, Bill, he's concerned and he brings her to the hospital the day after that. So the 21st. At first, things seemed to be getting better for Mary. But then that night, doctors had to start her heart due to cardiac arrest Not just once, but seven times. And the day after that, on July 22nd, 2015, Mary passed away. 
this all happened so fast from the time she started to feel ill to the day she passed away was all within a couple days about 48 hours what could have caused this Doctors don't know what's going on. This clearly wasn't a case of the flu. Mary, she's always been very healthy and there was no straightforward reason for her sudden illness and death. This was tricky. They they had no idea. Mary's body was sent to undergo an autopsy as per hospital guidelines and what the examiner finds just confuses them even further. Despite the fact that Mary had not been undergoing chemotherapy, her organs were in such bad condition It looked like she had. Her organs were very badly damaged. Whatever was in Mary caused severe damage to her organs and for her organs to shut down. The medical examiner, of course, they test for common poisons. But there was no cyanide, no arsenic, and no other poisons in her system the medical examiner located. So if this was in fact a poisoning case, what the hell caused this? What poison was this? My first thought, personally, my first thought was ethylene glycol because it seems to be very common in poisoning cases, but it won't destroy organs like the way Mary's had been affected. Then I thought maybe thallium. You know, I've covered a case on thallium poisoning before, and it does major damage once ingested, but none of these were in Mary's body. She had not ingested any ethylene glycol or any thallium. Um, Mary's blood, it was sent away for extra testing for a more elaborate um, test to be conducted on on her sample. And, And that took a while. That took about three months to get those results back. By September 17th, the medical examiner had the answer they were searching for. And this eventually eventually launched a full blown murder investigation. Mary Yoder had 15 times a lethal dose of a drug called colchazine in her body. When I heard this, I thought, what the fuck is colchazine? What is this poison? I've never heard of of a poisoning case with this stuff used before. This is not a usual suspect when it comes to poisons. What is it even used for? And what is it its intended use in the first place? Like, why does colchazine even exist? So apparently sometimes colchazine is used for treating inflammation like gout, but only in like really, really, really small amounts. It's also used in agriculture. So why did Mary have so much in her body and how did it get there? Where and how did Mary come into contact with more than a lethal dose? Like a huge fucking dose of this. And who even knows about this poison? Like this seems pretty niche. You would have to know about this. Needless to say, this was suspicious. And after the FDA ruled out environmental contamination, police eventually start to investigate. And of course, they look at the people closest to Mary first. There was her husband, Bill, her children, her co-workers, and patients. I'd imagine police were were going to work their way through all these individuals first and, and see what information they could dig up. It's usually what they do. Mary's husband and children, they seemed shocked with the news their mother had been poisoned. They couldn't think of anyone who would want to hurt her. They couldn't believe that this was happening. A little bit of digging and police discovered a possible motive. Mary's husband, Bill, was in a relationship with her oldest sister. 
It's unclear when Bill and Mary's sister got together. Some people say before Mary died and Bill claims two months after Mary died. Either way, this is not going to look good for Bill or Mary's oldest sister, Kathy. Mary has three other sisters besides Kathy named Janine, Sally, and Sharon. And we are going to be talking a lot about this case from Janine's perspective later on, from Mary's sister Janine's perspective. You probably think you know where this investigation is going to land, but uh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. While police are side-eyeing old Billy Boy and his romance, they receive a letter. Not only does the sheriff's office get a letter, but before they do, the medical examiner's office gets the same letter. Both letters are marked and sent as anonymous. It's the same letter. They each get the same letter, just copies. And these letters, they're typed. These are typed letters. Copy of the same typed letter, anonymous. These letters say that Adam Yoder poisoned Mary Yoder. Okay, well, who's Adam? Well, Adam, he's Mary's youngest son. I'm not exactly sure Adam Yoder's age at the time all this was happening, but I believe he was in his 20s for sure. And this letter was saying that he did this, and the letter went into such great detail that only someone close to the crime would know these things, such as where the bottle of Colchicine was that was used to poison Mary, like its current location. The letter told police the poison was given to Mary by putting it into her vitamin capsules. And the letter also told police to search Adam's car and they would find the Colchicine. Police did. They did search Adam's car and they did find the Colchicine. Adam was with police when this search happened and, and police believe Adam's reaction was genuine in the way he said he had no idea that it was in his car. He claimed he didn't know it was there or how it even got there or how long it had been there. He had no idea. He was shocked. He was baffled when police pulled this bottle of Colchicine out of his car. Police found it wrapped in a small piece of cardboard under the passenger seat. Also with that bottle of Colchicine was a receipt of purchase for the Colchicine. This receipt has a similar email address to Adams on it, making it appear he had ordered this. But if this means Adam may have something to do with his mother's death, what what could possibly be his motive? Did Adam and Mary have a fight? Were they not very close? What was his motive? Police decide to speak to Adam's ex-girlfriend, 22-year-old Caitlin Connolly. Caitlin, she also worked for Mary Yoder at her chiropractic practice as an office manager for the last four years. And she tells police, oh yeah, he's guilty. He told me he did it. And then they question her a bit more. And she says, yeah, I wrote that letter to you guys telling you. They're like, did you write this letter? And eventually she says, yes. They also recover Caitlin's DNA from the stamp on the letters. So this is appearing to check out. It's appearing to really look like she wrote these anonymous letters to the medical examiner's office and to police claiming that Adam Yoder killed Mary Yoder with this poison by putting it in her vitamin supplements like vitamins and supplements so like capsule forms police are alarmed because they believe whoever wrote the letter saying adam poisoned his mother was actually the real killer 
This is where things really heat up as police checked the email address that was found on the Colcazine receipt. And Adam says, yeah, you know, that kind of looks like my email address, but it's not exactly my email address. And this was proven to be true. It looked very similar to one of his email addresses, but he was not the owner of it, he said. This email address, it was recently created. You know, it wasn't like it was 10 years old or something. Police dig a bit deeper into this email address attached to this poison, and they see that the email is attached to Caitlin's cell phone. And uh, it was created on the office computer that Caitlin used at the office. Police said it was only accessed in two places, from her phone and her home. And I'm not sure if they mean while she was on her laptop at home or when she was on her phone at home, but this email was literally connected to her phone. This would appear she created this email account that was, uh, the email account was Mr. Adam Yoder 1990 at gmail.com. And she had created this on her work computer in in the office that she worked at for Mary Yoder on September 19th, 2014. But why would she do that? Why would she create an email account that looks similar to her ex-boyfriend's and then purchase Colcazine that was then later used to poison his mother, her boss, and then leave the incriminating email address attached to her phone? Why would this why would she do that so mary yoder and and caitlin Connolly, they were friends she worked for mary she was like part of their family even though her and adam had split up she still had this great relationship with mary yoder later people do say that adam and caitlin's relationship was toxic but not because of caitlin adam he is not painted in a good light to police it's looking like caitlin may be setting up her ex-boyfriend for murder Caitlin's touch DNA was also found on the cardboard wrapping that the Colcazine was found in, and she is then arrested and charged with second-degree murder. When she is told she is being placed under arrest and what they suspect her of doing, she starts crying, and they keep asking her, you know, why did why did you do this? But she refuses any guilt. She seems really worried and upset that she is going to spend the rest of her life in jail for a crime she didn't commit. Like, this is what she's giving off here. Police say that since Caitlin worked with Mary Yoder, it was easy for her to slip the poison into Mary's lunchtime protein shake the day Mary started feeling ill. We are going to come back to this later because there are some discrepancies with this. There was some pretty convincing evidence brought forward, like Caitlin's touch DNA, found on the cardboard of the Colcazine that it was wrapped in, in Adam's car. The email that was used to purchase the poison was similar to Adam's, but not Adam's, and was found to be linked to Caitlin's phone. The poison purchased uh, with that email address was done on her work computer at the front of the office. Also, the company who sold the Colcazine said they called the chiropractor office because that's where the Colcazine was being sent to like that's who had bought it and they said they spoke to a soft-spoken woman about the order adam's signature was found on the letter of intent that the company received about the order but they say caitlin forged it mary yoder's signature was also found on that same one and they say that caitlin forged both of their signatures on this letter of intent and also the colcazine was paid for by a prepaid by a prepaid credit card caitlin bought in adam's name Aside from the DNA, like the touch DNA on that cardboard wrapper that was found wrapped around the Colcazine, most of this is 
circumstantial and you know just saying and also if it was delivered to the office she was an office manager maybe she unpacked this it's it would be pretty easy to get somebody's touch dna on a piece of cardboard if you work in an office with them okay i'm just saying but anyways i'm not even going to get into that just yet i'm going to talk more about this letter of intent later as well so I'm going to go more in depth with this. These letters are important and they are mandatory when buying a potentially dangerous substance to ensure the use is within the guidelines it has been approved to be used in. Caitlin's defense team in court, they bring it to everyone's attention that Mary's husband, Bill, has motive to kill Mary because he was in a relationship with one of Mary's sisters that may have possibly started before Mary died, not after. The prosecution says Caitlin's motive was to revenge frame her ex-boyfriend Adam Yoder for murder. This seemed really strange to me. I've never heard of a case like this and, and something just seemed amiss with this plot. It didn't make total sense. I thought... I thought, personally, if she was looking for revenge, it's more common in these cases that she would poison Adam himself, not his mother. That trial, it eventually landed on a mistrial. There was too much reasonable doubt. Even Mary's sisters, Janine, Sally, and Sharon, they said they did not believe that Caitlin had anything to do with Mary's death. The retrial begins less than half a year later. And oh boy, does some stuff come out in this trial. This makes the prosecution's argument look shoddy. Text messages between Adam Yoder and Caitlin Connolly have been brought up and it kind of poo-poos the prosecutor's theory that Caitlin was a jealous ex who wanted revenge because these text messages show that Adam was the one sending Caitlin messages saying, I miss you and I'm thinking about you a lot, which means he wanted her back. So why would she be this jealous ex-girlfriend? Caitlin's defense says, maybe everyone should be looking more at Adam here. Seems he's the one who could possibly have been a vengeful ex, not Caitlin. Something else comes out in the retrial, and this is weird to me. And if I knew more about how copying or cloning a phone worked, I would have more input on this. Adam's laptop was examined by a digital forensics examiner, and a backup of Caitlin's phone was on his laptop um, and it had been put on there like installed on his laptop before police searched Caitlin's phone but after Mary's death so before police searched Caitlin's phone before police looked at Caitlin's phone to see that this email was attached but after Mary had died how the hell did Adam get a copy of his ex-girlfriend's phone on his laptop? If he is capable of doing that without her knowing, then what else is he capable of doing? Okay, that's just my thought. How much remote access did Adam have? Not even remote, maybe. How much just like physical access did he have to it? I mean, her work computer, that could be very easy for anyone in the office to access, including Adam and Bill. But her phone, that's a different story from a work computer. I mean, that's a private device. That would be in her pocket. That would be in her bag when she was at work. Or was it? I'm going to talk more about that a little bit later on. But her work computer not only showed that the poison was ordered from it, but also the anonymous letter was typed using it as well. So her work computer is saying that she created this email on there she ordered this poison from there she wrote this anonymous letter from there 
And she wasn't the only one to use this computer, okay? I'm also going to talk more about that later. This Colcazine was purchased at the end of 2014 and the beginning of 2015, January 5th, 2015 to be exact. But how do we even know if Caitlin was working that day? Caitlin was on holidays the end of 2014 to the beginning of January 2015. And Adam, he was filling in for her, so he would have been using her computer, Um, And this is what Mary's sister Janine alleges. So this is what Janine is saying. Surely this should be easy to prove one way or another. When Caitlin tried to prove this and asked her defense to go get the payroll logbook from the chiropractic office, it had suddenly disappeared. It was never found and Caitlin couldn't prove her point. Doesn't this also mean they you know, who they couldn't prove that she was working though. Like either way, it couldn't prove she was working. It couldn't prove she she was or wasn't working. But don't worry. A patient of Mary Yoder remembered Adam filled in for Caitlin in that time period and even stated this in a deposition, which the sheriff's office, they had. And you were never going to believe this. It also disappeared. What the hell is going on here? I feel like... I feel like this is such an easy thing to prove. Whether or not somebody was at work, like working between a certain time period. Shouldn't that be, I feel like you should just be able to prove that. Another thing involving this email account on her phone was the password. The password was set as Adam is gay, all one word. And this made investigators think that it was for sure Caitlin who set up this this email when she was mad at Adam and their thinking was that this was meant as an insult to Adam but to me this kind of seems like a stitch up if a scorned woman makes a password about hating her ex I think there will be like more choice words in there or maybe like something about a small dick I don't know just just a thought just a thought This trial does not end in in Caitlin's favor, and she is found guilty and sentenced in January 2018 of first-degree manslaughter. Among her last words in court were, I am innocent. Then she was sentenced to 23 years in prison, but this story, it's far from over. Mary Yoder's sister Janine King firmly believes Caitlin is innocent and she campaigns for the release of Caitlin. Janine starts a webpage called Free Caitlin Connolly. This is where I got her side of the story from. Janine, she also goes on a radio um, talk show and she pleads Caitlin's innocence. She is, she's getting the word out there and, you know, she tells people why she believes that Caitlin is innocent and why, you know, with all of her heart, she believes the wrong person is in prison for her sister's death. On her webpage, Janine goes into great detail about her opinion and evidence. So let's have a look there. Let's, let's talk about this. Before I get into this, I just have to say how I found this page. So I watched a documentary on A&E on this case. It was my first time hearing about it. I didn't know about this case. I saw it on A&E. And as it ended, I thought, this seems really strange. Basically, it didn't, it, basically it ended with Caitlin poisoned her ex-boyfriend's mother for revenge and, and is now in prison for 23 years. Goodbye. I thought, what? This isn't making any sense. So I started Googling the death of Mary Yoder and Janine's webpage came up. And I thought, how do I know this is actually Mary's sister 
Janine, you know, creating and writing this page. So I dug a little bit deeper and I found Janine on a radio show speaking about this. Then I saw Janine in another documentary by Crime Watch Daily. And there's a clip of her in that and it shows her in court saying she believes that Caitlin is innocent. And then I was like, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. None of this was in the A&E episode. I just, I just, I knew there was more to this case and I was right. My true crime antennas went up because they were picking up on something. I just didn't know what it was. It's not just Janine. There's also two more of Mary's sisters campaigning to free Caitlin. Nowhere did I see that Mary's sister Kathy was involved in this campaign and that's the sister who was having relations with Bill after Mary's death and allegedly before. On Janine's webpage, it lays down a lot of stuff that I did not see in the A&E episode on this case. It's like reading an entire different investigation. I'm not really sure where Janine's website information stands in the eyes of the law. She does seem to be backing up her opinions pretty well, but I'm going to put a blanket allegedly claim on this before I get into it. Also, I should state Bill Yoder and Adam Yoder have never been charged or found guilty of anything involving the death of Mary Yoder. Okay, we've got that out of the way. Janine starts with the day Mary got sick and Bill took his wife to hospital. She says medical records show that Mary was stable and mainly there for rehydrating and observation. Before Mary took a grave turn, Bill had left the hospital and went home. Basically, Bill took Mary to hospital. Then doctors thought, you know, she had purged out whatever was making her ill. She seemed to be getting better. Mary and Bill, they're together at the hospital. Bill leaves. And then shortly after that, Mary starts to get really, really ill again. She takes this terrible turn. When Mary's condition worsened, no one could get a hold of Bill. No one could get a hold of Bill. He wasn't answering calls and eventually the hospital sent police to Bill and Mary's home to contact him to tell him like, hey, your wife is doing really, really bad and you should get to the hospital. What should have taken Bill 15 minutes allegedly took him an hour to arrive. Why so long? Then there's what happened after Mary passed away. According to Janine, Mary's body was cremated on Bill's instruction, and Mary's family was never notified this was happening. Her sisters or her, her mother, they were never told anything about this arrangement. Bill, did they, he did not consult with them on this matter. When a body is cremated so quickly after death, it always raises some eyebrows in a situation like this. If further suspicion is ever to arise, there is no body to exhume to conduct further tests on. This cremation happened only days after Mary passed away, and Janine must have spoken with both the morgue workers and the funeral director because she says that the morgue workers said Bill wanted Mary's body released and seemed anxious to do so. And the funeral director told her that Bill and Adam came in together and what usually takes a couple hours of planning took them only 30 minutes. Or as quoted on Janine's website, Bill and Adam were all business. So if this information is accurate, then it seems a little off that there was a rush on funeral plans. Usually there is no rush, and I'm sure both the morgue workers and funeral directors don't apply pressure to grieving families. So why the rush? Janine said that her niece, Mary's daughter, told them that Mary died from a condition called ascending cholangitis. As unlikely as it seemed, 
They took her word for it until they found out a month later that it wasn't true. When they spoke to a doctor from the hospital Mary had died at, the doctor was like, no, uh-uh, no. According to the medical examiner, Mary's untimely death was labeled unknown pending toxicology. Where did this ascending cholangitis diagnosis come from? The doctor didn't know. He didn't have an answer for that. Then the doctor says, actually, we have sent away Mary's sample to toxicology to be tested very thoroughly. And, you know, that they're quite curious to see what their results will say because they have no idea what made Mary so ill and led to her death. September 17th, three months since Mary's death, those results came back. Mary had been poisoned with the colchicine. The Yoders were informed and did not immediately go to police or tell anyone, including Janine. You would think police would have to be informed of this um, by the hospital, so I'm not sure what happened there. But Janine only learned about this poison result when she called her niece over and over and over again to check up on what what was happening like what was found in the toxicology report when Janine heard it was poison she for sure thought there was an immediate investigation ongoing but then she learned there was no one looking into this poisoning on a criminal level what was also so strange is that her niece told her not to tell anyone And I mean, just playing devil's advocate here, that could be because they don't want this sensitive information leaked as it could hinder an investigation. That's, that's my first thought on that anyways. But I don't know why, why don't police know about this yet then? Like what's going on? Is the family trying to figure this out? I don't know. Also, what may have been happening, just thinking here, was that the FDA were looking into possible contamination like maybe the poison was accidentally in her vitamins or supplements you know you just never know and the shocking thing here is that the medical examiner did not get police to collect mary's things but instead bill and adam mary's vitamin container like a a pill organizer she used religiously which was um which was used to house her her daily intake of vitamins and supplements it was never handed over and this was crucial evidence because in that letter to police, that anonymous letter that they say Caitlin wrote, it says that that's how the poison was given to Mary was in these vitamin capsules. So where was her pill organizer to debunk this? What's happening here? Never found. That's where it was. I mean, never. It was literally never handed in, never seen again after Mary died. According to Janine, it wasn't until a month later that Mary's other sister, Sharon, called police on October 15th. And this is when the police investigation started, four months after Mary had been poisoned. Police, they labeled it a homicide, and they even contacted the medical examiner as to why the examiner didn't notify them of the poisoning. So it sounds like things were, and I'm just saying my thought here, potentially information was withheld for unknown reasons. I don't know. That means Mary's son, daughter, and husband, along with the medical examiner, never noticed police of the toxicology report. That's got to be a breach of the law you would think somewhere in there that's got, i mean the medical examiner at least come on what's happening this leads me back to the shake to the protein shake remember i said i would talk more about this later well now is later mary's shake powder and almond milk they tested negative for poison for colchicine for this poison this poisonous colchicine and janine says that there was no evidence that mary had a shake that day 
no shake container dirty or clean was ever located. In fact, she claimed there was a medical record saying Mary had one of her protein bars for lunch and a grilled chicken sandwich for dinner. This medical record could possibly be from the night she went to hospital and the doctors probably would have asked her, what did you eat today? You know, to make a record of that, to try to figure out what's causing her vomiting and diarrhea. Then why in court did Bill say Mary had a shake for lunch? Where did he get that information from? He wasn't even in the office that day. He also said Mary didn't like protein bars, but Janine disagrees and says Mary did like them. She even sold them along with her her vitamin and supplements that she sold out of her practice. Mary, she was a woman on the move and protein bars, they make sense. I don't particularly love them, but I do eat them when I'm busy and I need, I just need to get a meal out of the way. They're super convenient when you're busy. Another thing Janine would like to point out about the shake for lunch theory is that Caitlin would have had to wear the proper personal protective gear, the PPE, the personal protective equipment. And she said she would have had to, Caitlin would have had to wear that to administer the amount of that particular poison into Mary's shake, meaning Caitlin would have been seen wearing rubber gloves and a mask while making Mary's shake or like sneaking around Mary's shake. Or she would have got sick because this is poison and nobody saw anything that bizarre. However, along with the bottle of poison found in Adam's car were also found gloves and a mask. These items, they were never collected or tested for DNA residue. They simply just disappeared after Adam's car was searched by police and the bottle of colchazine was found. They never took, they never took the gloves and the mask. You would think... If you find a bottle of poison, then you would also collect the gloves and mask that are in the same vehicle, wouldn't you? Were these rookie police or what, what's happening here? Personally, and you know, I'm not even a cop, but if I was, if I found a bottle of poison, I would take literally everything in that vehicle to be examined because you never know. And I would for sure take gloves and a mask. Even if I don't take everything, I'm going to take poison gloves and a mask. I would probably have the entire car towed to the police station to be fully examined by forensics. Like I would take that whole damn car. I would tow it out of there. But I'm not a cop. So if anyone wants to hire me as an investigator, let me know. Hit me up. Janine believes Caitlin was framed for the murder, and here's how she thinks it was done. The most damning evidence against Caitlin's case was the email address accessed from Caitlin's phone and home, but also the work computer to purchase the poison, right? There was a few other pieces of evidence pulled off of Caitlin's phone as well, such as deleted files and web searches for how to kill with colchazine and other poisons, including figuring out how much of a lethal dose to give a person of Mary's weight. The fact that Mary was given 15 times a lethal amount kind of insinuates that the guideline wasn't followed, you know, even if she did know. If she knew how much it would take, then why give 15 times the amount? Why not give double or triple? 15 sounds like someone either really wanted to seal the deal or they had no idea what they were doing. But, you know, back to this phone situation. Let's get, let's talk about this phone situation I said I was going to come back to. Janine says that Caitlin was on Bill's family phone plan and her and Adam shared an Apple ID. So I'm not an Apple user. I'm not sure what sharing an Apple ID involves. So I looked it up and everyone says 
don't do this. The internet says don't do this. <laughs> if you share this ID with anyone, they have access to everything on your phone. And Janine wrote on her webpage that sharing this Apple ID makes it impossible to know who did what on that phone. So this is kind of strange. As for Caitlin's home internet access, well, guess who set that up? Adam did. And he never assigned a password to it, meaning anyone could sit outside their home and, and use their Wi-Fi. And Caitlin would have no idea. But also, let's not rule out remote access. It is possible when Caitlin was sleeping, somebody, you know, not naming names here, remotely accessed her phone, did those searches, downloaded them, and deleted them, all the while it looking like it was done by Caitlin on her phone while she was at home. That's the thought I have. I'm not saying that happened. I'm just, you know, I'm just asking, is that possible? Could that have happened? What, you know, was this avenue explored? What was the most interesting thing to me though about Caitlin's cell phone was it wasn't password protected and it was when she was at work it was kept in the back office while she was at work and Bill he would have access to her phone without her knowledge because Bill he worked in the back office it was actually his idea that staff keep their phone in that back office so it sounds like a work situation where, you know, everyone puts your phones away while, while you're at work so you're not distracted by them. I had an employer tell me that once and I, re I refused to do it. I was like, no. I, I always kept my phone in my bag in the break room, never on me. And, you know, I was always too busy to even look at it while I was at work. I thought it was weird they wanted my phone in their office and they told me that, oh, you know, everyone keep your phone in the office here in this box and because we don't want people using their phones at work. And um, I didn't like this idea. I told them I wasn't the problem here and they could not have my phone. <laughs> Basically, I was like, no. And they were like, okay. <laughs> so it was strange that's the only employer I ever had to do that I thought I thought it was fucking weird I remember they like brought this box up to me and they were like put your phone in here and I was like this is weird go away anyways Janine says that Adam and Bill they're both comfortable and really good with computers like very up to date with technology that could be why Caitlin had Adam install her her family home's wi-fi where she lived with her family maybe they nobody in that house knew how adam knew how sounds like caitlin didn't really have much you know technology knowledge and and adam had quite a bit and bill had quite a bit as well they even know how to set up and and use remote access as they did this with their office computers Bill had full access and control from his back office computer over the computer Caitlin used at the front of the office. Bill could even reformat and build a computer if he damn well pleased. He's he's a very intelligent man. He's got two PhDs. He's learned it. He's what we call a learned man. Adam, he took computer science classes in college and he got very high grades in that class. So, you know, this, their capabilities of technology seem to be very good. This is completely unrelated but I wonder if Bill was a Mensa member. It was just a question I thought, is, is he in Mensa? I covered, a, I covered a case completely unrelated to this one, no connections at all. Do you remember that other case I covered where that guy was in Mensa, um, George Treppel? Does everyone remember George Treppel from the last poisoning case I covered, the genius Mensa member who poisoned his neighbors for being noisy? I'm not saying, you know, these cases are similar at all, 
because I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying they're completely unrelated, but I was just curious if anybody listened to that episode. After Mary's death, Bill stopped going to the office for a few months. Then during the investigation, he started going back to work, but only for a few weeks. It was within this time frame that the email address used to buy the poison was connected to Caitlin's phone. So if this is accurate, then potentially that means only after Mary's death was the email address linked to Caitlin's phone. And that's weird. Why after the death connect the incriminating email to her personal phone? If one could argue that that is going to make her look guilty, (laughs) you know, I don't even think that's an argument. That's going to make her look guilty. So is it possible someone used Caitlin's phone without her knowing, whether that be through remote access or using it when it was unmonitored by her? Well, yes, I guess it is. I guess that is possible. I guess that's a possibility. I read on Janine's webpage that the poison was ordered while a program called ProXPN was being used. This program is used to hide the user's VPN, meaning can't see where in the world it's been ordered from. Like it hides the IP address. You don't know where this, what's happening here. It's like kind of puts a blanket over their IP address and it's like, you don't know. So it must be completely unrelated that this program, the ProXPN, was also found on Bill's computer. But what about the anonymous letter Caitlin told police she wrote then? What's going on with that? Janine believes that that was a false confession. Police told her it would aid their investigation if she just said she wrote it. And the reason the letter was linked to Caitlin's work computer was because someone else wrote it on her work computer. And the reason the letter's stamp had Caitlin's DNA on it was because she pre-stamped outgoing envelopes as the office manager. It would have been so easy for someone to either access it remotely or just straight up jump on it and and use it. Then, you know, pop print off those letters, pop them in her pre-stamped envelopes, ship it off to police. What's the deal with the poison itself, though? Who knew about this poison? Who was familiar with this? Would this be something they could figure out? You know, could could Janine get to the bottom of this one? Well... Janine said in the 1980s, Bill used colchazine for growing marijuana. Apparently, he grew really good weed. She describes it as killer weed. She says that part of Bill's process was treating the seeds with colchazine, yielding an all-female crop, which creates buds of a very high THC potency. So yeah, there you go, killer weed. Mary knew about the weed and this process and called it Bill's special process. This makes sense because, you know, colchazine is also used in agriculture. It's an agricultural product. Is it completely unrelated that Mary was poisoned with an agricultural grade colchazine? Just another question. Janine and her sisters, they bring this information forward to police, but they can't do anything with that information because it's from 30 years ago. In court, Bill testified that he had never heard of colchazine before Mary's death. Janine discovers that Bill would have most definitely been familiar with it because there was a document on his computer titled New York Mid and Low Back Injury Medical Treatment Guidelines. And in this document, colchazine is mentioned. Janine would also like to point out that colchazine required a letter 
of intent for the distributor and Adam's signature, it was on that letter. That same Colcazine was in his name and found in his car. Also, this letter of intent describes the intended use to be that of polyhaploidization, which apparently isn't a real term, but polyhaploid is. It's a word, and it perfectly describes Bill's special process he used to use in the 1980s on his marijuana seeds. How the fuck would Caitlin know about that? How the fuck would Caitlin know about polyhaploid or polyhaploidization? Just a, que- just a question. <laughs> I got a lot of questions. Janine also says on her webpage that she believes Mary was poisoned twice with the Colcazine. Once the morning of the 20th or possibly the night before the day she initially fell ill and then again in hospital a day later. And this is what she gathers from the toxicology report because it reads that Mary had more of the poison in her body at her time of death than from when she first got to the hospital. Janine states that during Mary's autopsy, the poison was found in Mary's stomach, despite having had diarrhea and vomiting, which would have cleared her stomach of all of its contents. So how did this new colcazine get into her stomach? Remember, Bill brought Mary to hospital and then left before Mary took a turn for the worse, and then no one could get a hold of him on the phone. Look, I'm saying nothing here, okay? I am not saying a damn thing. I'm just saying the timeline in which who brought who to the hospital and who was with Mary at the hospital and then not with Mary at the hospital. And I'm also just saying what Janine thinks about the tox report. That's all I'm saying here. If Mary would have died at home, then laws in that state would have had no choice but to investigate this with an autopsy and a toxicology report. But Mary didn't die at home. She was brought to hospital. Mary died in hospital. But, 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 but. And this is a big but. This is many buts. It's not many. It's one but, but it's very big. Mary had fallen during her stay in hospital before she died. And because of that incident, it was required that Mary undergo an autopsy due to hospital liability purposes. So had Mary not fallen... I wonder if the autopsy would have ever happened. What does Janine believe could have possibly been Bill's motive? Let's just talk about a motive here. There was no life insurance to collect, you know? So what what did he have to gain from this? What looked suspicious to Janine and to some other people is soon after Mary's death, he was in a relationship with Kathy, Mary's oldest sister. An eyewitness said in court that she had personally seen Bill over at Kathy's home days before Mary had died and even seen Kathy and Bill kissing on the porch. At Kathleen's indictment, Bill claimed him and Kathy didn't get into a relationship until October or November. But later, text messages came out of Bill and Kathy's conversations from July 30th and onward. July 30th is only nine days after Mary died. And these messages say things like, I love you, life is good, missing your arms, and I'm a happy idiot. So these are pretty chirpy messages for a dark time. Bill also said in court that he thinks about Mary every day and he often wakes up in the night crying. Well, that's kind of 
interesting because those text messages say life is good and I'm a happy idiot. So that kind of contradicts each other, doesn't it? Like, oh, um, I think of Mary every day. I often wake up in the night crying. That kind of means like he's really sad that his wife is dead. But then what does that, what does I'm a happy idiot mean? And life is good. So I don't know, that was kind of strange to me when I put those two things together. 70-year-old Bill Yoder, he had received an inheritance, but he claimed it wasn't enough for two people to live on if he and Mary wanted to retire. Mary's eldest sister is well off financially and also in ill health. In so many crime shows, I will, I'll just have to say this before I go on, none related to this case at all. I just have to say that. I am just making a general statement right now. In so many crime shows, the detective will say that money and love are two of the most popular motives for murder. Hmm. The investigators just guessed that Mary was poisoned through that protein shake. It was never confirmed. The point of poison the vessel into Mary's body, if you will, was never 100% located, identified, and or known, which that makes me really uneasy that all of this is founded on a guess. I, there's just not enough proof here. There's a lot of reasonable doubt. Janine, I have to, I have to give her props. I have to give her a round of applause because she really put a ton of effort into investigating this. And the webpage that she put together to free Caitlin, it's very thorough. She did an amazing fucking job. She's doing like private investigating over here. Like she is good. There is something though that makes her even further upset, you know, that the wrong person, she believes that the wrong person is in prison and that perhaps the real killer is still out there. And the thing that is also upsetting her is the fact that Adam and Bill Yoder were granted full immunity to testify in court. Full immunity. A district attorney told Crime Watch Daily that this can, however, be recalled if perjury is proven. So if it ever is discovered that Adam and Bill lied, then the immunity is revoked. Janine will not stop fighting to get Caitlin out of prison. She fully believes Caitlin's innocent and she wholeheartedly believes the judge sentenced the wrong person for her sister's death. Holy moly, I did not expect a twist like that when I started looking at this case. Let me know what you think. Have a look at Janine's webpage. I did link it in my show notes, of course. There is just, there is just too much weird stuff happening to ignore things getting lost that payroll book getting lost it's wow it's like even too much for me to summarize right now there's just so many things that did not make sense leading up to Caitlin being found guilty and sentenced to 23 years in prison I do feel there is a lot of reasonable doubt happening here a lot I have no idea how she got sentenced to 23 years like that with all of this reasonable doubt I think there was a lot of things withheld from the trial and the retrials. I think there was a lot of things not allowed to be said in that. And it's just crazy. I'm hoping Janine will keep updating her webpage so I can follow what's happening in her fight to free Caitlin. I'm very interested 
in this, I got to say, I feel a bit invested now after, you know, this consuming my whole world for about over a week. I, I spent a lot of time researching this. At times I was pulling my hair out trying to, you know, put this jigsaw puzzle together. And there's just some pieces don't fit, baby. I got to tell you, some of these pieces do not fit. Before I wrap up this week's episode, I just want to say that if you follow the Hell No Instagram, you would have seen I posted in my story that Barbara Walters signed off forever. She died last week at the age of 93. I have talked about her on my podcast before because I love her and I admire her. She's just incredible in every way, shape, and form. So that was really sad news to me. She's like my idol. She's an icon of mine. Um... So now I'm just going to go rewatch a ton of 2020 episodes and interviews that she did just to hear her voice again and commemorate her existence, to celebrate her existence. She was an incredible woman and journalist with a voice as smooth as silk and a brilliant mind which took her to the top of journalism. She interviewed so many people in her time. Barbara Walters, you will be missed. I hope everyone had a happy new year. Thank you for joining me on the first episode of season two. I noticed when I was editing uh, this week's episode that I kept saying Colcazine. It, I said it so many times and I even knew how it's pronounced. It's pronounced Colchazine. So I'm really sorry for anyone who was annoyed at that. It's Colchazine. And I'm recording this when my recording time is over. So you can hear my partner in the kitchen and he's making pizza dough. And you can probably hear that bowl banging around in the background. Please remember to follow, share, rate, review, comment. It helps people find my podcast. It helps my podcast grow. Please head on over to Hell No, A True Crime Podcast on Instagram. If you want to see pictures pertaining to the cases that I cover. And yeah, thank you so much for listening and see you next week. Bye.